Welcome to the Dark Academic Pause, the podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sophie Waters. And I'm Sarah Purnell. To kick off season two, we're going to be looking at The Atlas Six by Olive Blake. The Alexandrian Society is an exclusive and highly selective order of witches, or Medeans. Every ten years, six highly accomplished individuals are offered a place to prove themselves worthy of the library's extensive knowledge on all things. But there's a catch. Six may enter, but only five may proceed to the next stage. Who stays, and who meets an untimely end, must be decided amongst them. A deeply cerebral exploration of power, knowledge, and the predictable nature of being human. We're back for season two. And if you want to know all of the titles that are coming up, please check out um, the full article that we've published on booksburgersandbackpacks.com or there's a link in the show notes for you to have a look and get prepared so you can read along with us. But first, it's time for the Atlas Six. So if this is the first time that you're listening to us, what we do at the Dark Academicals is we explore a title and see if it is a Dark Academia book as it is commonly tagged as. So we've kind of come up with our own parameters of what makes a novel Dark Academia. And in fact, the first episode of the podcast actually runs through all of these elements that we have decided make up a Dark Academia title. In our opinion, we go into lots more detail, but we are going to quickly give you a run through of all of the topics that we're going to cover off in this analysis of the book. So first we have a higher education setting old gothic architecture a preoccupation with classical studies latin greek literature philosophy murder a dark moody and or haunting vibe hero worship of a particular figure or author old money which will collide with new money or no money whether as a literary device and underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist being portrayed as an outsider Hmm. and also Generally, all these things are found in the secret history. Yes, that is our launch pad. It's the seminal text. It's the book that we compare all dark academia, quotation marks around dark academia, because they're not all, they're definitely not all dark academia, Hmm. even if they say that on the cover. And that's (laughs) what we compare them to. And that's what we're going to be doing with the Atlas Six today. So, first up, a higher education setting. Hmm. Well, it definitely has a higher education setting, um, but I don't. I found this so the society is currently based just outside of London, in a kind of nondescript house, like a big manor house, isn't it? Like yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not higher education in the classic sense that like because I mean we see Libby and Nico graduate from a magical like university that would have been like the more logical dark academia setting yeah absolutely but this is it's it's more like an extended education like almost like a a magical the equivalent of like a writing retreat (laughs) but yeah or or also a secret society and like a a research degree almost once you've finished university yeah and But the issue that we both found with this setting is that there wasn't really a sense of place there. Yeah. And I think that kind of leans into the the old Gothic architecture element of Dark Academia because 
that wasn't really there either, was it? And I think the lack of both of those together didn't anchor the book in a, in a place. Yeah, I think it was it, the descriptions of the actual setting itself were quite scant. So all I ended up seeing in my head was like a vague corridor, a series of kind of under furnished rooms. It's all a bit musty. They all kind of mill around in about three different rooms. But there wasn't there wasn't enough for me, for my imagination to kind of get a good grip on it. Like latch on to, yeah. Mm. Especially as like the the house is supposed to be sentient. Mm. And there's no when when place I think is done well, it becomes its own character in the book. And there was so much scope for this. There was so much potential and possibility for it to play a bigger part. And I think that was missed in this. Yeah. Because like you, I I can kind of see in my head a vague room, but I can't even really see the, the library room. No, and their bedrooms, I just kind of imagine this corridor of six rooms um, with almost like, because there's nothing to go on. There are just like mm. little cells with a bed <laughs> in it. But that's all I have. Like, I, yeah. I can't, I need something to, to begin grip. building the details. Yeah. yeah. Weirdly, my brain defaulted to like how I imagine um, the rooms in Carry On by Rainbow Rowell. <laughs> I don't my... know why. They just seem to have plucked that from the depths of my brain and used that as a backdrop. <laughs> my brain defaulted to uh, kind of the descriptions that were given in A Deadly Education. Oh, I haven't read that one. Because there is like a, a similarity in the situation. Okay. Um, and I think my brain just went, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's plug that in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I found it really interesting as well that the place itself is described as both British and English. I'm not really sure what that means. And I don't know if it's just no. just like a kind of melding of the two terms. Yeah. But, but it's I, also mocked a lot, isn't it? Like the Britishness of it, the Englishness yeah. of it. And I think she's trying to make a comment on like imperialism and classism and like the, you know, the horrific kind of class system in this country yeah. i think that's what she's going for but she doesn't quite get nail there. it like i don't get the feeling that she's ever been to england <laughs> you know i felt like it was almost to me almost dickensian okay but without i mean dickens does have a great sense of place often yeah yeah but i think it was just the way that it's sort of like a country English country manner that mm-hmm. sounds quite gothic, but then the interior feels more like an Edwardian townhouse, like dingy, dark. Do you know what I mean? Something bit, from Dickens. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I The two didn't match up in my mind, like the outside, the exterior and the interior didn't match up. Yeah, especially because there's like, there's brief talks of like expansive gardens as well, isn't there? Yeah, like and Parisa and gardens. Dalton disappear into a cedar grove or something, don't they? Yeah, but they, they don't really ever go outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, it was just lacking for me. There's so much potential there. Yeah. Like if you're going to set it in a big English manor house, go hard on that. Yeah. You know, there's so much history and um, like potential for a real evocative 
situation there. Mm. I think it I was. You can definitely make the place the place a part of the problem as well. Yeah. Because they were obviously getting um, uh, attacked by people who wanted to break in, mm. you know. But so they could have. I feel like the the place could have incorporated that a bit better. Yeah, I also think it could have been like it could have played into this kind of this pressure on they've got to make this decision as to who is eliminated, like. They could have ramped up that sense of like cloying claustrophobia mm. that, you know, they're confined to these three rooms, basically. There are places they're not allowed to go. There are things that the library just won't give them because they have to kind of reach certain levels of study before the library allows them to um, basically check out texts and resources. Um, it's a bit like Scientology. Yeah, you reach yeah, a certain level, you get a different, uh, different yeah, get part access. of the uh, yeah. <laughs> and there was like there was minor frustration with it, but after like the first kind of month they'd been there, it wasn't really mentioned. No, until and the end. Also, they're not they're not trapped there. Like they don't leave, but I mean they can leave. They leave at Christmas and they have contact with the outside world with their phones. <clears throat> yeah, but so obviously I, they're not allowed to tell anyone what no, they're doing but, there. But I think if they'd have taken that away completely, it would have added another element, like to be completely cut off and have to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah, there's just... Mm. I think wasted potential is going to be a theme of us talking about I this book, so. unfortunately. Yeah. Because there's so much... Like, the bare bones are there. Yeah. But it just didn't quite kick it up a notch to where it should have been yeah if that makes sense i agree so we've talked a little bit about what they're studying so a preoccupation with classical studies and i don't think you can really call magic a classical study but also is it the most classical study <laughs> yeah i agree i think though as well in in the world that they're in it it you know, with the Alexandrian library, you know, having mm. the access to the knowledge of everything, like it, it's about as classical as you can get for a study. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But no one seems to actually study, apart from Tristan. Trist Tristan. Or is it Nico? No, Tristan studies. Tristan, Tristan seems to be the only one that studies with any real zeal. Um, Libby is denied the access to the material she actually wants to study, mm. and we see Callum pull materials about predictions. Yeah, Raina um, reads. She reads all the classical stuff that's supposed to have been lost. Yeah. But that's not really study. That's just because it's what she's interested in. And, you know, this is the only place she can access these things because the rest of the world doesn't know they exist still. Mm. But there is a lot of conversations about... It's essentially like magical physics <laughs> <laughs> and time and space and astral planes and really high level brain things like that <laughs> yeah i feel i feel like there, there's a lot of talking a lot of telling and a lot of kind of extrapolation on these kind of ideas of time and space and how to manipulate it but then mm. we never really see it in action no not after that first kind of situation with libby and nico 
Libby and Nico um, make a wormhole and use it to get snacks. Yeah. Like, and that's it. I just wanted really. that to be explored further. Like, Yeah. Because as well in Dark Academia, when these characters have these conversations, there's there's a gravitas behind it. There's a reason. And even if you don't know the reason, it's it's pulling at you, isn't it? Yeah, there's a sense of urgency. Like, we need, we need to get to the end goal, like, regardless yeah. of what that is. And I also think, like, those conversations exclude you as well, like, as the reader, in that deliberate kind of putting you on the outside of their like academic prestige almost yeah it's a deliberate technique to emphasize this this atmosphere this um environment but although there were these conversations where i mean i don't know anything about physics other than my gcse (laughs) which is long forgotten but i also didn't feel alienated by it i didn't feel that exclusion i just felt a bit eh where's this going like I felt, what are they gonna do with this yeah i think it's because you didn't see them like follow through often like you did and you didn't so like libby and tristan seemed to try things out mm. um and i quite enjoyed those bits i liked seeing it in action and it felt like it that element was actually going somewhere whereas often they would talk about these things and then there'd be nothing yeah, I think there's a general lack of agency. Yeah. With the academics, isn't there? Yeah. As well, I think they're trying to disguise what they know and what they do from each other as well, which doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> Another one potential not delivered, unfortunately. Yeah. So, the next topic, which is usually one of my favourites. The murder. <laughs> there isn't any. My comment under this is, yes, but also no. <laughs> well, the murder looms. Like, it's a it looming does. thing rather than... But we don't see it played out. Because there isn't one. Because there isn't one. I did like... <laughs> so, okay, we didn't do a spoiler alert, but there will oh, be spoiler yeah. <laughs> alerts. If you haven't read this book, then... And you, you don't want spoilers, go away, read the book, then come back. <laughs> But I did like the twist where it looked like Callum had murdered Tristan. Like, I really liked that scene. Yeah, that was I clever. Like um, it actually got me, but... Mm, it did, I mean, yeah. Yeah. In the end, no one, no one, no one dies. So Parisa was offed by Callum, but it was in a different, uh, like... Astral plane. Astral plane, yeah. Well, it was in Nico's head, wasn't it? In a different... Yeah different plane yeah yeah and libby is off but not really it's an illusion i mean somebody was off for them to get the corpse to animate into yeah dead libby but but it's, there's nothing on the page there's nothing in the immediate story no and especially when like the the first big reveal is that the catch of the alexandrian society is that for six to become five the six have to choose someone to die yeah, and, and they all, have to then kill them. All the way through, I was in my head like, "Oh, who is it going to be? Who is it going to be?" And for the mm. longest time, I did actually think it was going to be Nico. I thought that would be the most shocking one. Yeah, yeah, that would I wouldn't have enjoyed that. No, like me neither. Nico. But but <laughs> as a like as a narrative choice, that would have been a great mm. choice. It would have been because it would have kind of let up the conversation of well, what's going to happen to Gideon. 
how is yeah. Libby going to survive without Nico? Exactly. You know, there's lots of promise. And then in they that. could have like, yeah, exactly. And then they could have brought Dalton back in because obviously Dalton's an animator and yeah. Yeah. But in the end, they made the decision to kill Callum because he is a sadistic. <laughs> He's a nasty piece of work. That's evil, why. <laughs> horrifying person. And Tristan is tasked with killing Callum, but he can't do it. And Callum then pretends to kill Tristan, and that's that's another big twist well, and a cliffhanger. But again, pretends in quotation mark because he gets stopped. I can't. What does he get stopped by? He hears. Is it? Oh, it's the wards. It's when Libby oh, goes. Yeah. And he's like, huh, only joking. Yeah. Because he's one of those characters you you're never quite sure what what's going on in there. Yeah. And you don't really want to know either. <laughs> yes, but no. <laughs> on murder. <laughs> I think we have slightly differing opinions on the next one. Um yeah. when I had a peek at your notes. So a dark, moody and or haunting vibe. I just said not really, because there weren't there weren't vibes for me because there's no atmosphere, I didn't think, and no sense of place. There's nothing There's nothing that I latched onto, nothing that I gripped onto. The characters are moody. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't feel that atmosphere at all I don't know throughout if, the novel. If I was guided a little bit by um, the artwork that comes with the hardback, Oh, maybe. So for every chapter, at the end of every chapter, there's like a, I think it's every chapter. Anyway, somewhere in there, there's like artwork of the characters. And that's quite a moody kind of styling, I would say, like dark, moody styling. So I don't know if that kind of fed into the overall vibe whilst I was reading it. But I shouldn't need a picture to give me that vibe, I will admit. (laughs) And I read it on ebook and there was not that in there because it was a net galley copy. I did buy the hardback because for the first 35%, I was convinced I was going to love it and it was going to be a five-star read. So I ordered myself. The artwork is stunning, though. Yeah, it's great. The whole design of that hardback is just... Stunning. Chef's kiss, isn't mm. it? It's so beautiful. Hero worship of a particular figure or author. No. Not really. No. I didn't get any of that. No. I mean, at first, they're in awe of the society and maybe Atlas, but it's not really a worship, a hero mm. worship of anything. And nothing ever comes up. They don't develop as a group enough, I don't think. Isn't Atlas the god that hel- holds the the yeah. world on his holds shoulders. up the world yeah mm. i see <laughs> <laughs> um i think the thing is is i was wrote about how i'm not really sure what the motivation is for any of the characters to Mm-mm. keep going down the path they're on like they don't whereas like saying the secret history they have this like dionysian <clears throat> kind of way of thinking like that's what they're heading towards there is like yeah. a figurehead um but f- i there i just don't understand their motivation like any of them really whenever the subject is broached they seem to quickly evade the question yeah um and that's a problem for me 
Mm, I think that also plays into like the discussions of like old money colliding with new and no money because that that's usually a strong motivation in um, dark academia. Yeah. Is either securing that higher position, climbing out of a lower position, or so it's something to do with that. But because like none of these characters are plucked from obscurity, they're all known to the yeah. magical world. They all come from something, even if they've you know changed the way they stand. Mm. Like none of most of them are from a rich background, aren't they? I think so, and I think even even if they do come from different financial backgrounds. It's not really applicable when you can convince a whole country to go to war in a heartbeat. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. They, I think it's often said, isn't it? Like, well, we could just, uh, if we weren't here, we could just go on and have a career making lots of money. Like, that just yeah. seems to be the thing. And that seems to be, like, all that we know they're going to get out of this education. Yeah. Is they'll be rich after. Yeah, and then towards the end, we kind of find out that actually it's probably going to destroy them. Mm. I don't, I don't fully understand either what what the whole point of being a member of the society would be, other than you've unlocked this knowledge, but they don't tell you what you can do with it, really. Yeah, I think that's something we're going to look at a bit later in the criticisms, yeah. isn't it, about the world building in general? Yeah, so yeah. we both find that a bit lackluster. Another thing that was a little bit lackluster was the weather. Because no there weather. wasn't any. There was weather once. Once there was weather and Callum notes that the rain that Parisa creates in the uh, astral plane was a nice touch, as he called oh. it. And and he's <laughs> right. It did fit the situation. It was very emotional. She was kind of bearing all of her truths, whether she wanted mm. to or not. And then she takes a dive off the... <laughs> off the side. Yeah. Off the side. Um, and rain definitely went with that but that was the only time <laughs> but it was manipulated though it wasn't it wasn't like a it was moment an where, outside yeah it wasn't the nature wasn't yeah, like reflecting the inside like what was going on inside mm. it was just parisa went we need rain here it was constructed <laughs> wasn't it yeah. for that scene almost yeah artificial yeah i think again because they just don't really go anywhere <laughs> no Everything pretty much takes place inside or in their heads. We're in their heads quite a lot. Yeah. Okay, so our last tenet of Dark Academia is underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist portrayed as an outsider. Uh, They're all outsiders, but they're also not because they come from positions of privilege and wealth and Mm. they're not going to be lost without the society they are perfectly able to live successfully without it yeah they don't kind of find a family in each other do they they don't find that kind of uh common ground even i just i think libby is forced to be an outsider Mm -hmm. um i I don't know though because she still has Nico like throughout. Yeah, she's never. I mean, um, who is it that says is it Parisa or is it Callum who notes that she's alone and feels alone or Libby Callum? Mm. But no one also no one really has any outside influence either. So apart from 
Nico. Nico has his like mates back at his flat. Mm. But Libby ditches Ezra. Tristan breaks it off with Eden. Everyone else who has ties to the outside world have just easily just cut them off. Cut them, yeah. Um, They've chosen to be outsiders. Yeah. In exchange for whatever this nebulous thing is that they're going to get from being in the Alexandrian society. Yeah. It's not an intrinsic part of their personality that they are excluded or a bit weird or, you know? Yeah. It's not like if if there were other kind of students studying other parts of mm. magic or whatever at the society, kind of looking at the chosen six going, I wish it was me. Yeah. There isn't that kind of thing to play off. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the difference of them being the only... They are the only characters, aren't they? They aren't, like, background. There's no background noise no. to anything. They don't even really have lessons. No, they have, like, lectures, don't they? If you can call them lectures. <laughs> I think we're going to move on to the criticisms and a look at isolated elements yeah. in the Atlas Six now. And as we were saying before, we do think that there's you know, a real lack of depth to the world building here. Hmm. There's a great setup for the society, this isolated manor house, these six incredibly powerful Medeans or magicians, whatever you want to call them. But we don't know how this world works. We don't know how the society and magic and magical people fit in with the mortal world. We don't know what the society does what it doesn't do does it pose a threat does it is it a force for good and what does being a part of the society mean for the characters in terms of the lives they're gonna lead afterwards other than just making them rich yeah there's no background there's no follow-through there's no anchoring of these characters current situation in a larger world hmm because we don't know anything about it. Yeah. It's all just kind of floating there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Which for a book that the paperback edition, because it was taking us a really long time to read. We were like, this book's only 385 pages. No, no. And yet you look at the paperback edition that's coming out in September and it's 540 pages and you're like, there we go. Yeah, the the pages are dense as well. Yeah. It's not, there's yeah. not much break in, there's not much dialogue break and i i'm sure i've seen a couple of reviews where people have talked about how the dialogue is the thing that moves it along but there's no dialogue there isn't We're enough in dialogue heads. to do that we're in their heads a lot and there's big chunks of um uh I don't know, just kind of like theorizing gump. about <laughs> gump yeah there's that too i think for me the prose itself see i'm all about don't get me wrong, all about a self-indulgent, kind of luxurious, mm-hmm. um, flamboyant even. Just I don't, I don't mind if it's a little bit lyrical, a little yeah. bit like poetry-esque. But it also needs to give me more in other places. I think that's what this yeah. is. It's just very, it needed an edit. And I think yes. this, is, this is where maybe the issue was, is that for a indie book for an independently published book it's fantastic mm, yeah undoubted yeah absolutely fan- fantastic but then when you 
come across to traditional publication, I kind of expect a bit more. Yeah, so it was originally published in 2020 independently and then at the end of last year in the US and the beginning of this year in the UK, it was published by Tor and Pam Macmillan, uh, respectively. And yeah, it was just, it needed a brutal edit, didn't it? Yeah. In the pacing, the repetition, the but not deliberate repetition. It was like, repetition that you have to slog through Mm. and i'm saying it with peace and love because i really wanted to love this book i even where the bits where i was really struggling i'm like i really want to love you but it makes it so hard i loved it for probably the first 30 percent or so and then it started to lose me a bit yeah because it just none of the characters have any agency because there's too much dump in their heads there's too much filler I think mm. they I don't feel like, really do anything yeah and I liked how um I mean I'm not usually a fan of multiple POVs but I did quite like being able to dip inside everybody's like train of thought but I don't think we needed everybody's no see I, um, I quite like multiple POV mm. and it's it's difficult to do a multiple POV where you're not in a POV waiting for another one. Yeah. And I never found myself doing that. I was equally interested in each of the characters. Mm. And I wanted more, to know more about them. Yeah, and each one definitely had a unique voice. Oh, it's not absolutely. Like they didn't blur. But I just don't, with that many POVs, it doesn't give you much chance to explore that character much deeper. Mm. Um, yeah. It's, it's restrictive in a way, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I honestly think close third probably would have been. Yeah. Better. I think you also could have done it from Libby's perspective entirely. Yeah. Because yeah, she feels true. like the main character. She does, yeah. Everything uh, revolves around Libby, whether they are thinking good things or bad things mm-hmm. about her. Yeah. Or even I think it would have been really interesting to have someone tell their story. Callum. Like a really, yeah. You know, in the traditional, even, um... in a traditional dark academia way. So, all right, I'm just going to be like uh, dreamscaping my own version of this book. <laughs> it looks like they've offed Libby. So let's mm-hmm. just keep it true to the plot. Like, obviously she's offed, but she's not. Looks yeah. like they've offed Libby and we see it from Callum's point of view, but then back. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we see that point with Libby and then we go back and then we see it from Callum's point of view. That's how I would have done it. Yeah. I think it would have been interesting to see it perhaps from like maybe Atlas telling it, but in that kind of oh, okay. di- distanced I'm a mysterious narrator that knows everything and all the or inner Dalton's. Yeah, because he was with them more. But then Atlas has the has the the key to their minds, doesn't he? Yeah, and he is clever enough that he can pull stuff back and drip feed and mislead you. It could be a really strong, unreliable narration that way. Mm. I think that would have been interesting. Yeah, but at the same yeah. time, I'm not mad about the POVs. 
they worked. Yeah, I'm not mad about it. I just wanted more. Mm. I think the only thing that I struggle with is at, at the beginning that we find the Atlas going to meet with each of them and the same, essentially the same thing in a different environment being done yeah. six times. Yeah. Do you want to join my club? Person. No, thank you. I think you should join my club. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite tiresome. Yeah. Because it was a chunk of the book as well. It needed some work. It did. And I think Olivia Blake was done a disservice by her publishers. I think so too, because like I said, I really, really want to love it and I can yeah. see it. I just don't see it on the page. There's so much potential. There's so much scope. It's a really clever premise and a really lots of elements of it are really strong and really gripping. I would be interested to see if the second book has a yeah. tighter edit. My worry is now that she's done the viral thing on TikTok, self-published, she could then push back and say, well, I did fine without you. Yeah. Because obviously authors don't have to accept their edit suggestions, do they? No, but Olivia, if you're listening to this, please do. <laughs> give it a go. Just give it, just try it. Yeah, you don't keep, know until you try. Keep the other version and you can just compare and contrast. Yeah, just try it. Just try something new. Just try yeah. it. Try try and edit <laughs> with an editor. That sounds really harsh. I'm not being harsh. I'm just like, just listen <laughs> it's coming to what they have place. to say and give it a go. And then if you really don't like it, just go back to the other one. It's fine. Yeah, it's coming from a place of love, okay? Yeah. Just please, please listen to your editor. <laughs> Don't put us through 540 <laughs> pages again. Oh, it's a book that never ended. I think, I think my Kindle, when I started it, told me it would take me seven hours. And at that point, I was like, there is no way this book is 380 pages. I was reading um, Red, White and Royal Blue at the weekend going, I've got, I've got still got, I'll still have like three days to read the Atlas 6 before we record. It's fine. I was like, this is not <laughs> fine. <laughs> There was panic. <laughs> <laughs> it also concerns me because the hardbacks are very tall. They are tall, aren't they? Okay, well, the hardback is going to be... Oh, the Kindle edition is 416 for the sequel. Oh. oh, that's big, isn't it? Yeah, if it's that size hardback, yeah. Because the hardback is listed as 385 for this. Ugh. That's a lot of pages, man. <laughs> you didn't listen, did you, Olivia? <laughs> you didn't listen. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Knowledge is carnage. Yes, and and so is the edit for this book. <laughs> but again, it's so pretty. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah. White with gold and black. Oh yeah, stunning. Stunning job. I mean, I was a little bit resistant to it at first because I really dig the indie cover. I think that's cool. Oh, I do prefer the traditional, but, traditionally published ones. But now I've had it in my hands and I've looked at it and stuff. I like it a lot. Mm. It's very pretty. Mm. People are selling the uh, self-pubbed one on eBay for hundreds of quid. I know. Because originally I was going to buy one um, because I was gutted that they took them off. And when I was looking at buying one, they were like, oh, 15 quid. I was like, oh, 15 pounds. But now they are like hundreds. Yeah. yeah, which is insane. 
Resellers, man. Not my favourite. <laughs> my last note for criticisms. The ending was shit. <laughs> I don't really understand the ending, to be honest. That I don't know if I was just bleary-eyed by that point, but I didn't fully um, grasp it. I was skim-reading it, I'm not going to lie. But because it's just telling, not showing. It's mm. really info-dumpy. And it it felt rushed as well because it wasn't this grand reveal that I was shocked by. It was a reveal that felt a little bit lazy and kind of pissed me off, actually. I also just don't like Ezra as a character. No. Which, I guess, considering he's the villain, kind of. Is him and Atlas though? are the Him and Atlas... Are they the villains or is Ezra sort of trying to stop Atlas from being a villain? Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Is he, or is he just going along with it? I don't know. I don't know, really. Because that's the thing. It was a weak ending for me. I just find it also a little bit gross that Ezra being then finding out who he is and he like willing willfully enters a relationship with Libby is a little bit gross. Yeah, so basically I mean you're probably at this point if you're if you're listening, you've read it. But in case you haven't and you are still here, hello. Um so we find out that Ezra, Libby's ex boyfriend, actually was part of Atlas's class at the society. 20 years prior and he can create doors into other realms and times so he has basically skipped through time for 20 years not aged and remained at 21 and then gone to the university to scope out people for atlas for this new class of initiates and he he kind of passes on to atlas that libby and nico are the ones and he stays close to Libby and Nico by getting into a relationship with Libby. Mm. And Libby is... I don't know how old they are. Well, we never they find be... out how old they are. But they must be 21. 21 and just... 22. Yeah. Although I feel like Libby... Um, Libby definitely, but Libby and Nico kind of... They read younger. Yeah, I would have said they were 17, 18. Yeah. That's how they read to me. But... No one else we don't really know. No, that sort of it is a little bit vague, isn't it? I feel like isn't Callum supposed to be he feels like he's twenties almost like late twenties. Yeah. And Parisa because of, I think just because of what they say about their lives. Tristan yeah. I'm not so sure. I'd probably say mid twenties, twenty four ish. Yeah. But again, we we don't really know much about them. Even spending all this time with them, mm. they're not hugely well-developed in terms of character arc. And what we know about them is usually told to us by someone else. Yeah. It's not what we've learned from being in their heads. Or from conversations. It's I guess that mm. takes us nicely onto our character analysis doesn't it or actually no we were going to talk about women we were there aren't many women there aren't and they're all portrayed kind of abysmally actually yeah coming from i think i think reina was 
is the only one with potential to be a kind of positive portrayal, I think. But she just was uh, sidelined. Yeah, because like, she's kind of portrayed as apathetic, isn't she? She's not worth bothering with because she doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't want to do anything. So just leave her in the corner to read then, her books. She is also Mother Earth. Yeah, that kind yeah, of I guess. nurturing stereotype. But then she does push her back against it. So that her character is quite interesting in that way. Parisa, I did not enjoy her at all. No. Really. But she's, again, portrayed really unflatteringly. Yeah. She's basically, she's... I think at first you're supposed to not like her. That's the point. Yeah. But then I feel like she's supposed to have like a kind of redeeming arc but for me it falls flat like the classic wow was it called so parisa is extraordinarily beautiful and what comes with that is her being manipulative and sexually promiscuous and having no morals and no friends and she doesn't want to engage with anyone of anyone she only will use men for what good they are to her and that that's that's basically all there is to her. We don't we don't really get an arc. We don't get to know her that well yeah. again. And she's kind of sidelined as that is her personality. Yeah. And in the same way, Libby. So everyone acknowledges that Libby is extraordinarily powerful. But it's also said that she's not strong enough for it. So she ignores it. And so she'll never live up to her potential. Mm. And they all, like, so many of them say, well, that's why she should die, because, you know. Yeah, I think they all, she's, she's um, portrayed very, as very innocent, isn't she? Um, mm-hmm. She's deer in, a head, in the headlights the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's almost punished for asking questions. Yeah. I mean, not almost, she is punished for asking questions. She is, absolutely, yeah. When Definitely. really, like, why is no one else asking these questions? All she's right, the so most she's the sane one out of the yeah, lot, really. <laughs> exactly. Like, fair enough. She probably should have come to the conclusion after that long conversation about the trolley theory with Tristan oh, about yeah. <laughs> if there's, what is it, like a running train, you can save one or save or five save or whatever. Five, yeah. yeah. Um, she still doesn't, still doesn't get it that somebody has to die out of the six of them, mm. but... Even though <laughs> she she's just not given a chance to prove herself ever. No. She's just a, a, I don't know what the right word is. She's just a, she's almost dismissed. like a prop. Yeah. yeah. Things happen to her. Mm. She doesn't have any real agency of her own. She's not given space to have agency. Yeah. She is dismissed and put upon... And taken advantage of a lot because every time she gets involved with something, something amazing happens. Like when she works with Nico, when she works with Tristan about what he can do, like she gives these men breakthroughs on their own power and abilities and and that's almost her purpose and then she's gone. Yeah. Um, Even though it's, it's her power. And her mind that's kind of led them to this position. Yeah. So, yeah, that made me really mad. 
<laughs> She's almost, as well, almost betrayed like the classic hyster- hysterical woman. Yeah. Because she's, she's um, you know, always told to like dial down her anxiety, like just, just calm down. Mm. <laughs> like, Even in from that people si- listening in her head. Exactly. Like- it's like in that situation, I don't know if I would be able to keep calm, uh-uh. you know? <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Yet she does have people that have her back. Yeah. Not completely, maybe, because obviously her and Nico are supposed to be enemies. But they're also linked together in <laughs> very... They're very codependent. They're Yeah, they're enemies in that kind of... Um, in that way that they're also like platonic soulmates do you know what i mean yeah. like it's that it's that classic academic rivalry mm-hmm. um which is yeah <laughs> don't know where i was going but yeah <laughs> they complement each other don't they? Yeah. they the other lacks no the other provides what they lack kind yeah of thing. but just in in comparison to how the three guys are presented Callum is deadly and cruel and ruthless and you don't really want to get on the bad side of him. Tristan is really powerful, but he also doesn't really understand his power or know what he can do. And yet everyone loves him regardless. They don't even consider killing him off. No. And Nico is doing extraordinary things. Like, he made a, he made a wormhole. <laughs> he did with, make a wormhole. With Libby's help. To get snacks... But he did make a wormhole. And he's doing it out of love for his roommate, who he's trying to save. So I think even just putting it that simply, you can see the divide in the presentation of the three women and the three men. And never fails to disappoint me when that comes from a female author. I know. And it's also, even though there is obviously a fair split between the students, there's a three... Three females, mm. three males. There, there. I don't think there's any other female influence, really, is there? Because there's Atlas and there's Dalton. Yeah, no. It's very male-dominated, which is a reflection of those elitists. Yeah, definitely. Kind of societies, but um. But that's where fiction has the power to turn that upside down, especially when it's fantasy. Yeah. Like, if it was trying to reflect a contemporary setting, then fair enough. But when it's fantasy, oh, you can Japanese, do anything. Um, the Japanese politician that speaks to Rainer. Oh, yeah. There's also Eden. Yeah. Tristan's but then again, they're filthy. presented really badly. Eden is... An adulteress. Yeah. And vain and always on her phone, always on social media and posting selfies. But they have Herculean sex, he'll have you know. Exactly. <laughs> God. And, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the um, the politician. And she's really powerful and super clever, but she's shady because she has connections to the society. And when she she wins something, doesn't she, in Japan, so everyone's immediately suspicious of what she's done to get that position. Mm. It's just... Never fails to fuck me off. (laughs) (laughs) The way that women are consistently treated 
in fiction. I just wanted Libby to uh, a chance for Libby to truly step into her power, and I yeah. kind of hope that we see that in book two. I really hope so, because I mean, right now we're just Libby is just waiting to be saved, isn't yeah. she? At the minute, that's where we've left her. Yeah, she's just been dumped on another plane, hasn't she? Yeah, and uh, not not a flying plane, an astral uh, plane, uh, an astral plane that she can't escape from. That we know, because where Ezra's imprisoned her, he's used kind of the antithesis of her powers to make sure mm. that her powers are extinguished, kind of thing. I'd like to see Gideon more in book two. I I'd really like, like Gideon. Gideon. I like Gideon. I really mm. like the dynamic between the three guys. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. I could read a whole book about Nico, Gideon and Max. Oh, easily. So I guess the big question, is it Dark Academia? No. 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 <laughs> it's fantasy. Yeah. It's, I wouldn't even say it's academic fantasy. I'd just say it's straight fantasy. Yeah, I think I can see why people attach the Dark Academia label to it because, but it 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 just it's almost striking from a, like a long tradition of fantasy having similar elements. Yeah, like this kind of fantasy, there's quite a few you could put in there, and I think we probably will go on to explore some of those titles as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but um, I think I know this is something that we kind of concluded by the end of season one. The Dark Academia is a vibe. It's an atmosphere. You just know. You you just know. And this does... The Atlas Six doesn't have that atmosphere. It doesn't have that vibe. And... She just it's... ain't got it, kid. <laughs> exactly. She is not dark academia. And that's showbiz. <laughs> Our next episode will focus on Meg Wallace's debut novel, Sleepwalking, which was actually written by Wolitzer when she was 23 and still a student at Brown University. So I have hopes for the vibes for this one. (laughs) So this is the synopsis. Sleepwalking tells the story of the three notorious death girls, so-called on the Swarthmore campus because they dress in black and are each absorbed in the work and suicide of a different poet. Sylvia Plath, Anne Sexton and Wolitzer's creation, Lucy Asher, a gifted writer who drowned herself at 24. At night, the death girls gather in a candlelit room to read their heroine's work aloud. But an affair with Julian, an upperclassman, pushes sensitive, struggling Claire Danziger, she of the Lucy Asher obsession, to consider to what degree her death girl identity is really who she is. As she grapples with her feelings for Julian, her own understanding of herself and her past begins to shift uncomfortably and even disturbingly. Finally, Claire takes drastic measures to confront the facts about herself that she has been avoiding for years. I am excited. Me too. Because we both love Meg Wallace's Belzar. Oh, love, love, love. It's an extraordinary book. And I've not read anything else by her. No, me neither. So I'm very excited for this one. Thank you for joining us for this episode on The Atlas Six. And we hope that you listen in next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.